if you have one golden piece of advice from your 52 weeks of hope, mm-hmm. one, one spiritually based concept where you think people could really live and grow off of those words, what would it be? It's keep going. Everything always uh-huh. works out. Everything always works out. It might not work out on your timetable or in the way you think. We pivot in life. Yeah. We have to pivot. But it it always does. It it just does. Well, hello everybody on this freezing February almost morning. I'm looking to speed up spring a little. I have got a fantastic guest today on our podcast, Too Young to Be Old, Lauren Abrams, who somehow has gone from being a lawyer to being what I would call myself, in a way, a spiritual cheerleader. The podcast she authors is 52 Weeks of Hope. And I always think during January and February when the nights are so long and it gets dark so early and it's freezing out and that we're looking for hope. And I also think, and Lauren, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but I went to a psychic. Actually, we had a psychic as a guest and she said, Diane, buckle your seatbelt. Dark times are ahead. And I agree with that. So we need 52 weeks of hope more than ever. Let me introduce the guest of the moment, Lauren Abrams. And I got to ask you, Lauren, you said that you went through, quote, the dark night of the soul. And that is what sparked you to find life's deeper meaning but also to start 52 Weeks of Hope. So I am sure I've had about a thousand dark nights of the soul, but I don't know. So please describe your darkest night. Um, Well, I've had a couple myself, but I just have to interject now because I was told um, a few years ago when I when everything was happening in the world and it's still, I'm not going to act like it's not happening and you think kick it worse and things keep happening. But yeah. um, I was told that sometimes in order to, for the, for things to shift, the world needs to be shaken up and, and, and that sometimes you have to just be shook up like this. I don't know. I'm using the wrong tense perhaps. And, um, and that we need to take, it takes a few steps back before we can go forward. And, and that maybe that's what's happening. So the world is, so I just want to say, I, I'm a, I'm an optimist. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, that, that is me. So I, sometimes it has to, it takes that in order and, and we all go through it. Nobody dark night of the soul. It means it's a hard time and, and nobody gets through this life unscathed. And when I got through mine, I was like, and what, what was it? Uh, it was what? when I was I was a single mom. I'm raising both my kids, um, and everything looks good on the outside. I'm somebody, you know, I've got the Beverly Hills Law Practice, and everything looks so good. It's thriving. I've got great people working for me. I've got the best kids. I have 100 percent custody. I'm I'm taking care of everything, and and I've got a full practice. But money doesn't come in 
like every day and I'm I got to where how am I going to feed them how am I pay, I'm paying my employees I'm paying all these people I'm building this beautiful home and I'm like yeah I want this yeah I want that and suddenly it's like I had I was struggling I had no one to turn to I had nowhere to go and you know yeah everything worked out but it's finance and romance to me are like the big killers. Those are the things that take finance me. Finance and romance. Okay, yeah. so I'll give you two dark nights for okay. me. The first was um, I finally find the guy that really matches me. And he really sees me for what I could be and who I am in the present. Within... Five, six years of meeting him, I noticed something is way off. And I find out through just intercepting a fax from the fax machine, that's how long ago it was, that he has terminal cancer. And he has not wanted to share that because his feeling was everything would change, which, of course, it did. And I bargained with God and I told God, take two or three years of my health and my healthy life and give it to him. I went through grief. I went through everything. But the bottom line was when I lost him, it took years to put myself back together again. I completely just slipped into my work. I did it 24 hours a day, but that's not necessarily dealing with it. That's just finding a space within that dark night of grief to function. And the other, which I handled totally differently and would attach to your 52 weeks of hope, was being diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017 but not by a doctor, just by a, a radiologist and being told you're hopeless. <laughs> yeah, Christmas Eve. Thank you. So going through that was totally different. That was an entire out-of-body experience. I was just like wired. Um, how did you get out of your dark night? And and what did it feel like to come out of it? It it wasn't like oh one day I was okay. It was a very yeah, yeah like yeah. oh I snapped my fingers. I actually now yeah I actually would go to this spin class with Angela Manuel Davis, and I I had a bunch of spin classes left in my Q U E Q U E. I never know how to pronounce that word, and um. I was in the back. It's pitch black, and she's doing her Angela stuff. And uh, Oprah took her on the road for for a reason because she's so motivational. I'm just such a groupie of hers. And um, anyway, and she's doing the. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but somebody in here needs to hear this. And I'm in the back, in the dark, crying and spinning, and and I don't know. Something in me shifted, and I knew I'd be okay. I didn't know how. I didn't know when, but I knew everything would be okay. Everything is always okay. And, and I got through it. And my best friend came and sat at work with me that day. Cause I had, I told her, I didn't keep secrets. I told her what was going on and, uh, and slowly things, I mean, one, one of uh, my suppliers, one, somebody I did depositions with, they sued me in bankruptcy. And I was like, I've never been sued before or after ever in my life. And uh, even though I was making small payments to them and I told them I was very upfront of what was going on, they, and they still, 
still like for the last 15 years, I don't even know what, how long, maybe 10, they've been trying to get my business again. I was like, no, um, you know, I'm a plaintiff's employment lawyer. I make money in my lump sums. I, people at work, you know, I'm, I'm, I help people who are discriminated against and, and wrongfully terminated. It's not, I don't bill hourly and uh, I'd never not paid bills. I always took care of things. And so I was uh -huh. so horrified and I didn't want to tell anyone. I just didn't want to tell anyone because your reputation and this and that, and I seen as something in the industry and I, anyway, and it's all bull. It's all a facade. And I got through it and, and my practice, that's the thing. My practice is always thriving and I'm not a mill. I pride myself on so many things and um, my reputation. And, and I'm somebody who had built myself from nothing, really from the streets and nothing. So everything was, I take such pride in. I'm right there with you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so. Um, when I got through it, I was like, what the hell was that? And and then I went through my whole, why are we here? What's the meaning of life? And that's what brought 52 Weeks of Hope about because I thought, I'm going to find out. I'm going to go ask a much older demographic, what have you gleaned from living life? They say no one on their deathbed ever wished they worked harder or made more money. So what have you learned? Tell me. I want to know. And I'm busy. So I thought I'll ask a person a week for a year. It'll be my DIY. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. And so I so I started doing it. It's my DIYing. I'm not a DIYer. So and I started doing that. And uh, I would go and people would reveal the most personal information to me. And um maybe I don't anyway. And so I would go home, I would write up what they told me. Sometimes they'd send it to my best friend and I um in my own verbiage, which is kind of funny, not making fun of them funny, but just the way I Right. And um, after about two and a half months, I noticed there were some common themes. And I was like, this is so good. I'm going to write so one of those books. So I'm going to get that. But yeah. I thought, I'll write one of those books where you open it up and you're like, that's just what I needed to hear. And I'll call it yeah. 50 Weeks of Hope. And then the pandemic hit. And I, so I was like, so I started podcasting. Um, and then I wasn't confined to Los Angeles anymore. And I started talking to people all over the world and first about how to keep community and then after um i had i'd been podcasting for a year i because i ask everyone for a message of hope they, what's the hardest challenge they've gone through how'd you get through it and give a message of hope and after the first 52 weeks i compiled all the messages of hope into 10 overarching themes and i call it the meaning of life so i was like i now know the meaning of life so now i okay. now i'll answer your question <laughs> Okay, so what are a couple of those things that we so, can glom onto and really uh, yeah. relate to? This is this is the most important, and it's what I learned pretty early on. Um, besides being told, you young people need to put down your phones. I was so happy to be called a young person. I have to tell you, uh -huh. <laughs> like, call me a young person anyway. Um, and. But the number one theme is community. We are not meant to live alone. We are not. Texting doesn't count. We need to actually physically be with each other in the blue zones where people um, live the longest, the healthiest, and the happiest. Because why do you want to live a long time if you're not healthy and happy? They have community. That is the common characteristic. Yeah. They see each other. They build each other up. Um, they check on each other. They know what's going on. They live together. Um, community doesn't mean if that just like makes you cringe because like that's how a lot of community doesn't mean you have to live in the hundreds or thousands. It could just be a few people. I'll tell you a very interesting story about that. So when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, the first thing I thought of was I have no family and they tell you right up front, 
people that do best, people that survive, have family, family support. And I thought, I'm screwed. Like, <laughs> you, couldn't have, you couldn't have a worse demographic than me. What I hadn't counted on was I had a community of women from my television network, HSN, QBC, who, and I don't know many females who don't in some way fear or relate to breast cancer. And their support of me was so overwhelming that I literally felt sometimes like they were holding me like a baby in warm swaddling and comforting me. I have never, ever had such a strong psychic presence as that community. So although I agree with you about physical, also you can draw that to you spiritually. And that saw me through it all. It was amazing. And if you had asked me beforehand, I would have said, come on. I mean, really? I don't think I have those powers. But that leads me to think everybody has those powers. And you talk about spirituality in terms of your darkest night. But also, you talk about something I'm really curious about. And I can only guess at it. What is the imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah, I've written about it. I have I have a quiz on my website. I have an article on the website. I've done research on it. That's when you feel imposter syndrome I could talk about forever. And it, and it's reared its ugly head again three times in the last I don't know, week or a few days with me. I was like, oh, do I never like, and it's when you feel like a fraud or somebody's going to find out. Um, and I can't really do this. I remember walking down the corner of a courthouse. I had probably been practicing 10 years at the time thinking, look at all these people. They think I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I am a lawyer. I went to good law, a good law school. I went to good schools. And um, it's that whole thing. Are these kids calling me mom? <laughs> I'm faking being an adult. I'm adulting. Um, you know, all of this stuff. And uh, I was, I'm, I'm in a two-year meditation, mindfulness meditation teacher training program that is phenomenal. I have taught meditation before I even did this. And yet I'm in this program that is I, and I really, I only start it to keep me meditating every day because it makes me feel so good, but I don't, it's like exercise or anything else. These things that make me feel great, I'd rather, I could eat sugar every day. That makes me feel good too, but it's not good for me. But, you know, so I, but now I'm in this meditation teacher training program, which with Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock and all these amazing people. And it, the class I started. Tara. I know Tara. <sighs> She's yeah. a She's like a warm blanket. Her voice is just, uh, anyway. And this class starts with a meditation two days ago. And I sat and my head's going and going and going, which it does. That's part of meditation. And I thought, who am I kidding? I'm never going to be able to teach a class. Like uh, the whole thing. That is imposter syndrome. And a lot of Michelle Obama talks about it. Sheryl Sandberg talks about it. Um, Meryl Streep thought, Every movie she makes, she thought, now they're going to find out I don't know how to act. Like, so if you feel like that and you get those thoughts, you're in the midst of a lot of high-performing women. And oh, I um, really do. I really have those yeah. thoughts, especially transferring 
from designing fashion, which was my first great love of life, getting on television through just a total fluke, actually, and then saying, well, okay, I can use my communication skills and do a podcast. And my thought about the podcast is like, who told you you could be a podcaster? Who told you that? Ridiculous. And yeah, you feel like a little bit like, I really want to do this, but I'm cheating. I'm just making it. Does anybody know? Yeah. And when in fact, I think the imposter syndrome has a lot to do with being critical about yourself and assuming uh, for me, I always assume I could have done 5,000% better. I'm not good enough. I'm not achieving enough. It's, it's constantly being on the edge of I've got to do more, 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 more. And um, yeah, so and trying to rebuild a community. And you talk a lot about the importance, which I'm sure has to do with community, of mentoring others. Tell me how you go about doing that and tell me what it means for you. Well, the number two, community was the most important. Being of service to others is number two. And um, helping others being of service that no matter what it is that I'm being of service for, I never want to do it. I'm just going to give that aside. I'm not going to act like, oh, I'm some like nightingale like flying around like that's not it i mentored a girl in downtown they were looking for um at this very one of these schools in downtown there were some high performing kids that needed some mentors of how to graduate and get into college they had no role models and i was like oh i can do that um and uh i i always am a being of service because of just where I come from and everything i'm always grateful of where i'm at and um anyway so she lived in downtown, LA traffic, everything else getting to her. I'm busy, don't you know? And every single time I went down there, um, I would take her. She'd never been to restaurants. I mean, it's a family of four living in one room, gang. Like, there's, like, I was like, I wonder if there's gang members around. And if I know if they, they yeah, it was obvious. And, um, I would take her out and, and just, and she, you know, she went to college on a full scholarship and everything else. Um, but every time I left, I felt fabulous. And it's not about me. Oh, it's about how helping. interesting. Every yeah. time I left her, anytime I've gone to paint a school or feed the homeless or do any of these things, I always feel better when I leave. I don't ever want to go because I'm busy or I'm comfortable or I'm tired or I'd rather read a book or whatever the excuses in my head. I show up anyway. A hundred percent of the time, I have never not felt fabulous when I leave. Being of service helps me <laughs> forget everything, anything anyone does. It makes me feel better. And if you don't yeah. believe me, go try it. Like I'm telling you, there's a million places that need help. And, and, you know, I think in a world where we're so separated and we're so at odds with one another, you really, you really need to get your own self-discipline of spirituality and community going. When I formed the community I had on Teleretail, and that community was, we were all in on all aging together, the challenges of aging. 
I've tried to build a bridge and continue that, but with much more diverse solutions um, in my podcast, Too Young to Be Old. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Every time I have a podcast where I feel that I've helped especially aging women, because I think women have so much a tougher time going through that age barrier of 50 than men do. Um, I feel so energized and good afterwards, but not everybody is fascinated like us about being able to broadcast and form a community. So what would you say for the everyday woman who is feeling lost, separated, unhopeful um maybe she's gone through a great divorce maybe mm-hmm. she's lost her mate maybe it's empty nest syndrome i i could name off oh maybe it's uh, just, it's just yeah. aging where do you go with that? Right. And this is what I talk about on my podcast all the time. And what I know is this is what we do. And find one thing that you're interested in. It could be reading a book. It could be going for walks. It could be your dog. And go on meetup. Go on anything and get out. Don't sit inside. Taking any kind of action creates action. Like, um, people are like, how do you get such great people on your podcast? You know what? When you take action in the direction of something you want, the universe just rises up to meet you. It just does. So, totally. you, and you don't need a million coaches and more programs and this and that that keep you confined inside. It's about getting out again. It really is. And, and I, believe me, I work from home now. I closed my office um, and I'm as isolated as they get. So I understand. And so when people are like, let's have lunch, I'm like, let's go for a walk because I need to move. I need to actually move my body. And uh, one guy I talked to, he just started saying, I'm going for a run. I don't run. I'm going to just preface that right now. I, I'll hike. I'll walk. But he's, he meets at Santa Monica for a run every Thursday. And now there's a whole group. He just put it out on Meetup, that site Meetup. Um, if you want to walk dogs, like you could just Google how to do this. And there's, there's so many ways to do it. And you don't, if you're like averse to meeting a lot of people, find one person to walk your dog with, find one person to read a book with. Um, I just, okay, here, here you go. This was fascinating to me. Two hour cocktail party. All right. I was I just read this. I heard this guy, Nick Gray, the two-hour cocktail party. You can be as introverted as you want. And I just listened to it on the way to support my friend at her open house. I went, this is the, this guy is the greatest guy ever. I'm interviewing him Monday. Um, and I put on a two-hour cocktail party. And you get to invite people. And it's cheap. And it's fun. It was the funnest thing ever. I just threw it two nights ago. And people invite somebody else and it's about appetizers and drinks only. It's only for two hours. And that's how you meet people. And however, if you are, let's say landlocked and I've got a really droid kneecap. So I'm like limping around now. I find that, and I am the, the least technical human being alive. But I find doing these podcasts, I find getting on to chat groups, I find something very community oriented mm-hmm. about the internet. And I think, thank God, although people believe 
that the internet and social media was created for the young. I actually think it was created for 50 plus because you can go explore. And for a lot of us, we focused our entire youth and midlife into one stream. For you, it was being a lawyer. For me, it was being fashion designer and being on a communicative medium known as tele-retail. I never had time for friends. Somebody just asked me. They said, well, so what did you do for Thanksgiving? And I said, Thanksgiving? Uh, I've been celebrated Thanksgiving in 31 years. I worked every Thanksgiving. That was the best day to be on TV and sell something. I worked every major holiday. So I find that I almost have to reinvent myself as a more socialized person. And I can do that off the internet. And it's so weird. I know I'm going to say it, but I, and I never feel alone. Isn't that wild? I will always like suss out some topic I want to hear about, some podcast I want to see, some this, some that, some shopping I want to do. And, um, you know, I feel like in a great way, the, the more isolated we become in modern life, the more you can reconnect yourself electronically. Yeah. Um, no, I understand. I just, I know that when I saw a bunch of people in person and we hugged hello and, and things like that, it's, it's different. It's, it's not the same, um, at all. And cause I feel like I can be BFFs with somebody after we've spent this time together, spent an hour together talking, um, on one of these. And I feel like we could talk about anything. And yet when I'm with other people in person, it's completely different. And, and so it, there's, we're not meant to isolate like this. And, um, and I look, I'm, I'm, like I said, I live, a, I, you know, I, work from home now and it's hard for me to get out I'm right with all that. I think, oh, there's How traffic. do you like working at home? I, I, love, I, personally it. I love, love it. it. I love I it. I love it. I love it. It is the best. I, oh. I enjoy it. Yeah. So, I feel like I can use my time better, but the other thing is, and I don't know about you, but for me, I was in a profession on a television network thank God for 30 years, but it was a lot of the same people. It was like the same, the same, the same, the same. So I actually find doing a podcast and meeting people like you and making connections with people like you, Lauren, and, and I, I may meet up to 10, 12 people a week. It is so different for me. My brain is so refreshed and yeah. activated. And that I, I think the one thing I would say to anybody who maybe has had a few dark nights of the soul and wants to come through into 52 weeks of hope, if you are retiring, don't discount yourself. I'm not saying yeah. go back into the corporate world. Don't go back into no. a world that devalues you for your age. Create your own new world. If you had asked me 10 years ago, do you want to be an influencer in a podcaster? I would have said, what? 
what are you talking about? I'm not qualified for that. I don't even know what it is. Today, I could honestly tell you, best move I ever made. Totally regenerated my spirit and my my interest in life. Just amazing. It, so, it's so fun. I thought I was burnt out. I took two weeks off and I missed yeah. it. And I missed it. I took two weeks off the end of December. I was like, no, I miss podcasting. I went right back in. <laughs> so if a anybody lot of wants people to, do that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I just talked to other people. So if anybody wants to start, I'm talking to a group that uh, wants to start a podcast. I've now been doing it long enough. I, if anybody wants to start, I'll tell them everything I did. And uh, yeah, I, I see that's being of service, though. It's something that lights me up. Totally. And it lights me up, and I know how I started, what I did. I didn't know what I was doing. So, but now I've been doing it for so for so long. I could be like, okay, here's what you do. Here's where you go. I am techie, and so I can help you, someone. When did you start your podcast? Fifty two weeks of hope. Um, I it went on early twenty twenty. I've got a hundred, almost two hundred straight weeks now. I and am just about to celebrate my fiftieth. Podcast, oh, yeah. and I'm like, it's a baby. Mm. I'm celebrating having a little baby, and I cannot believe that in my late seventies, I'm going into a whole new phase and loving it, and finding that my commonality in life is not just fashion, but it's always wanting to be excellent. And now I want my legacy to be service to others. And I think what what I would say is, and I'm going to just talk a little more about Dark Night of the Soul, because we all have them. And we seem to think about them a lot in January and February, and it is so bitterly cold outside, ugh. Um, I remember when my life partner passed away from cancer, and I'd been the sole caregiver, and I was walking down the street. I'd been the caregiver for a, a, a solid eight or nine years. And I remember walking down the street and seeing a group of people coming towards me and they were smiling and they were laughing. And I thought to myself, when is the last time you laughed? A year? Two years? And you know, when you come out of something like that, and it takes a really long time, you know, you realize, I would say, you're in charge of you. And for you as a lawyer, and for me as a fashion designer, to both come to the conclusion that we want our legacy, as we age, to be mentoring and to be leaving um, good thoughts behind and helping. You know, people kept saying to me, don't interview anybody that has a podcast. There's too many podcasts out there. You don't want to be advertising other people. And I was like, I don't like that sense of non-generosity. I think we should be a community that helps one another. Don't see each other as competitors, but see us opening up a whole new territory because this feels a little bit like the wild, wild west to me. Yeah. If, if podcasters help each other. I, I mean, it's the greatest thing, especially coming from the law profession. <laughs> um, this is, I mean, everyone helps each other. It's so great. So, uh, it's, so if, it's you, 
if you have one golden piece of advice from your 52 weeks of hope, mm-hmm. one, one spiritually based concept where you think people could really live and grow off of those words, what would it be? It's keep going. Everything always uh-huh. works out. Everything always works out. It might not work out on your timetable or in the way you think. We pivot in life. Yeah. We have to pivot. But it it always does. It it just does. And I can't explain it. And if you have a dream or if you and you think, oh, but everybody's always doing that. Everyone nobody can do it the way you can do it. You have your own unique handprint. Go for it. This is that's another one of the messages is life's in session. This is it. Go for it. Nobody's, and I've never thought of a diplomatic way to say this. Nobody's paying that much attention to you. When I thought people were talking about me because I started a podcast, nobody's talking about me. Nobody's paying that much attention. So go for it. Just do it. You know it. what? That is so true. And I had a mantra, and actually in my first book that came out in 2013, um, my, my clarion cry was never give up, never give in. It's never too late to make the most out of your life. And I've lived by those words. You know what? I I think, first of all, obviously, I was in a visual industry, and it behooves you. And I learned a lot of tricks um, from makeup artists and stuff. But I think the real deal always, to me, is it all comes from the inside out. If you love your life, and, and, you know, I will say this to anybody in the audience with full disclosure, I have not always loved my life, and I don't always love it minute after minute, but I truly love what I'm doing, and that flows from the inside out. And so when you talk about the imposter syndrome, I sometimes feel like a little bit of an imposter at almost 80 years old. But it, it, no amount of makeup is going to do that for you. It has to come from an internal, spiritual satisfaction and glow. And somehow I came out of breast cancer, and I just wanted to help every woman around me. And and even in the chemo room, I was like the mother hen, like, oh, you shouldn't be crying, and oh, it's going to be okay. And I just wanted to do that. Who knows why? But thank God. If that's what if that was my darkest night and that's what I got out of it and I can shine a light on the world, I'm all for it. So I leave you with this, Lauren Abrams. Somebody said this to me the other day and I'm gonna say it to you. They said, Diane, you are a light a lighthouse in the darkest night. And I say that to you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Oh, this was really good. Thank you so much for being on Too Young to Be Old. And you will always be too young to be old. As clearly as well. you are. Yes. And <laughs> you are you. a lighthouse. Thank you for having me. I This was Thanks so great. So much. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review, 
and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.